Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Wu, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. Today's Locked On Warriors is with a guest who I'm very familiar with because he is, I guess you could say he's my boss at the Sporting News. Adi Joseph is the deputy editor of the Sporting News, and he edits my stuff for that excellent publication. And he specifically wanted to talk about the depth of the Warriors and talk about those guys, and I'll let him explain why. But it's it's a great conversation because we do really focus on the players that are, you know, outside of that top four guys, and there is a lot of meat to get into there. And while we talk about the depth, that I like using depth instead of non-starters because we do talk about Zaza Pachulia a fair amount. So conversation runs about 40 minutes. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to join the the Locked On Warriors podcast. I uh, I've been on the Locked On Hornets podcast recently, so it's a cool little thing that uh, Mr. Locke has set up. It is, and I, I'm really excited to be a part of it. And you specifically brought up the topic that you wanted to discuss, and so what we're going to talk about are the depth pieces on the Warriors. You want to kind of explain why you wanted to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think for starters. We've all heard way too much about the starting lineup. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Kevin, uh, particularly the big four, if you want to call them that, are going to get analyzed to death. And obviously, your best players are the guys you win with. And there's no doubt about that. But, <clears throat> you know, we saw last year injuries happen, things happen, uh, depth can play a major role when you least expect it. And, the Warriors are everyone's favorite to win the, the playoffs, but I think their depth could be a concern. So me being a generally cynical person, I picked uh, an area of weakness that I thought would be fun to discuss. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. And so so you can kind of, there are a lot of different ways to think about it, but one of the most interesting parts about the way Bob Myers and the front office have constructed this bench is that it's very heavy on big men. And we don't really exactly know how all of them are going to work out, but, you know, there are a lot of traditional bigs on this roster. And when you think about that, the Warriors' most dynamic moment in the last couple of years was when they went to what's commonly called the death lineup. You know, it, it is kind of interesting to do to take that tact for the rest of the team. Yeah, I think that they feel like they can go small whenever they want, and it's never going to be a problem as long as Draymond's healthy. And that's really... As far as going small, it's really just if Draymond's healthy, any other player can be pulled out and they can go small. Going big is trickier because sometimes you're going to need to go big, as they found out against the Thunder. And furthermore, you know they don't have an obvious three or four guys they can plug into a big lineup. So they needed to have variety so they could ride a hot hand so that if Zaza falls off in the second half, they have other options. And I think that, that was a smart decision and and the big men they brought in are very flexible and different so 
they are. That was a good move too. Yeah, and and it also it also <clears throat> makes sense in the idea that particularly if you're going with older big guys, you don't want to play them that many minutes. Whereas you know the the youngsters at the guard positions can run a lot more. Even Sean Livingston, who you know he's not really going to play more than twenty twenty five minutes. Twenty twenty five minutes is probably more than you're going to give any of these bigs, other than you know not counting Draymond, other than. Zaza on a good day you know you're probably not ever really going to roll these guys out too much beyond that and so having more makes sense and I also think of it as a regular season construct more than anything else if you already have your five-man lineup then figure out guys that can give you rest and give you balance for the regular season when you actually need to rest these guys yeah Bogut played 20.7 minutes a game and uh you know a lot of that was not a lot of that but some of that was cut into by just generally blowouts and and him not needing to be in at the end of games. And some of that was cut in to by his health. But for the most part, I think that was, even if he had been fully healthy for the whole season and more games were close than actually were, he's still probably only going to be playing 25 minutes a game last year. And Bogut is, and I want to be clear here, Bogut's a lot better than any of the big, the, the traditional big men that they have on this roster. And so, I expect to see a lot of different things. I think they are at least going to give Damian Damian Jones a, a real shot at playing that Festus Azili role, and I think Kevon Looney will get some playing time. Really excited to see the David West, Draymond Green, big man pairing. Um, they have options. They gave themselves options. I'm just not sure if any of them are good. Yeah, and, and that that is an issue, but that's also why you have a lot of guys and that you have players with disparate skill sets so you can kind of see what works and what doesn't. And the Warriors are really kind of static, and I don't mean that in a bad way at a lot of their other positions because you you have all-stars, it makes it a lot easier. You know, you have those guys, you put them in, and then also the other issue, part of the reason why it might have happened is is the pure concept of supply and demand you know there are so few wings out there just available let's say for minimum contracts because that's really what the warriors had left that those guys could command more and they also had a couple you know they drafted pat mccaw they had a couple of kind of guys floating around and so when you're looking for minimum guys they were you know david west was a natural fit Anderson Verjao, you know, he's a Kerr favorite for whatever reason. So so he had that, and then, you know, they drafted two young bigs the last two years with the 30th pick. So even with just those guys, you're going to do that. And then when you are constructing a, let's call it the training camp group, you're always going to want to mix positions. There are a couple of bigs there, and it just so happened that the most intriguing of their training camp guys, JaVale McGee, is a big as well. Yeah. Uh, I do also think that there's one other factor here, and, and I think... It's a factor that we, in a, in a discussion of the Warriors bench, should probably get to pretty early on, and that's Andre Iguodala. And, you know, obviously, Iggy, Mr. Iguodala, I'm sorry. Mr. He, Iguodala, he, he really like, doesn't like being called Iggy I know, for I whatever know. reason. Um, so Andre Iguodala played a huge role in getting Kevin Durant. He's known Durant longer than a lot of guys, and, uh, you know, that was, he was going to be on this roster. There was never a... Maybe we should trade Andre. It was Andre's here. Andre's the anchor of our bench. And so let's spend on positions that Andre can't play for the bench. Because the Warriors, as you know, they don't, I don't think they really view a bench in the old school sense of five in, five out. They're keeping the – I would be surprised if we ever see a first quarter, unless they're up like 30 to 6, we see a first quarter where they pull Curry, Clay. 
Durant and Draymond all at once. And I don't think that's something that they want to do. That's not something that they typically did the last two years. So Andre is a central part of their entire philosophy for what they, how they filled out the other roles because he's essentially he's, – he's their fifth guy. Not even essentially. He is their fifth guy. He is, and when you think about the idea of staggering and however they're going to do that, it will involve one of these non-bigs coming back, because this, a stagger involving Zaza Pachulia doesn't matter. That's not a stagger. It's not somebody you'd consider for that. And so if, let's say it's Kevin Durant that p- gets a little bit of an early hook and then comes back at the beginning of the second, I think the only time you'll see, uh, other than garbage time, where you'll see all four, the guys that I'm kind of tentatively calling the Fantastic Four, that you'll see all of them out at the same time is at the beginning of the fourth, because if you want all of them to close the game, then you want to get them at least a little bit of rest. But they probably won't do that in the second, and they might not even do it in the fourth every time just because they can do like a two-minute spot rest before one of the mandatories. Yeah, and they liked in the past to give Clay a little bit of run, but I think in my guess, hypothetically, is now that you have Curry and Durant, you're going to want to give them both time on the court without the other, uh, both to sate their need for shots and to let them show off their creativity and get themselves into a rhythm. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, and I can't say exactly what's in Steve Kerr's mind, and I'm not sure Steve Kerr knows yet, but I'm thinking that you're probably going to see Durant and Curry being the guys who um, are most often one of them is off the court at a given time early in a game, particularly. So as a result, that puts a lot of pressure. If, if it's Durant in particular, that's going to put a lot of pressure on the second unit to learn how to play with Kevin Durant very quickly. It will. And also the having versatility in terms of the, especially the big man on your roster makes sense. If they're going to be, if you're trying to figure out support pieces with somebody as, dynamic as Durant you know you want to see do does he need shot blocking do you want to have somebody who's in a more able passer or free throw shooter you know like the, all those kinds of things like that if you're dealing with backup bigs no matter what they're going to have flaws that's just the nature of the business there there's nobody that is so good at you know that who doesn't start you know maybe the closest was Bayamba last year was was a really good player and he he came off the bench but that was more of a diamond in the rough situation than anything else and so, and Jan Mahinmi, Miles Turner, that, that is probably another one, but they both started a lot of the year. So basically you want to try some different things out. And it also, another big factor is that the young guys are unknown. Kevon Looney barely played last year because of his twin hip surgeries. And Jones, you know, he was playing in Vanderbilt last year and he's gonna, he has a pectoral tear, so he's going to be out for a little while. So they did the best that they could, you know, with, with who they could bring in. And having that versatility certainly helps as well. Yeah, I think, you know, the the interesting thing here, too, is that that second unit is still it's not going to have the defensive level, all of the big men. And that's that's where they're really going to miss Bogut and Festus is none of these big men are known for defense. Even Damian Jones is a raw defensive player with some potential. He's not there yet. Um, I think. I, I said at the time, I know I think we talked about it at the time, Dwayne Dedman would have been a perfect fit for this Warriors roster. The perfect guy to back up Zaza and potentially, by the end of the year, replace him um, as a starter. They didn't get him. The Spurs got him for way too cheap. And I think getting a guy like that would have been a huge help rather than bringing back Varejao. But you're right, Steve Kerr loves him some Andy. So... 
Well, they David were, they wanted Deadman. They wanted <laughs> yeah. him. What what happened was they were kind of saying we don't know if we're going to have the room middle level exception open, and then Zaza took it, and you have you know he's a better player. You have to take that when you do. And so they turned to Deadman and said, "Hey, all we have left is the minimum. We would love to bring you in. It would be a, a good opportunity for you." And he chose the Spurs. No blame in that. You know, it's a lot more money, and it's the Spurs yeah. and everything else. I mean, he might he might be their best defensive big too. I mean that that's it's a different thing being on them being on the Warriors, especially because he has been in the Warriors organization before. So that yeah. is an, another factor in all this. But you know, he he made a justifiable decision on on his end. It's a lot more money. He also got a player option, I believe, for the second year, which is great. And another guy He's not taking that no 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 probably not but it's good for, it's good for security just in case i mean when you've yeah, been sure. you've been kind of floating around the league a little bit when you can get another guaranteed you know barely under three million you can have that in your back pocket it's awesome he's not as established as Dion waiters who basically took the same contract and something another guy who we haven't really talked about explicitly but might end up being a, a large figure in terms of fit with durant is james michael mcadoo and mcadoo is a warrior's favorite a guy that was you know that that has done well in their system and that you know he's he's not really super skilled he doesn't really have that clear positive but he runs the floor he plays with effort and that might work well with kd I don't remember which finals game it was. Um, I can look it up, but that one finals game, James Michael McAdoo was so bad. I think he that had, was game six. Yeah, he had one. It, it looks like it might have been game five. He played oh, when minutes, Draymond was but, suspended. That makes more sense. Yeah, uh, he he put out one of the worst stretches I've seen. Besides Anderson Vergeau in game seven? Yeah, I mean, that was... You're right, Anderson Vergeau had some bad stretches too, but... McAdoo is, you know, since he got to college at UNC, he's been endlessly frustrating. Um, he and, I believe, P.J. Hairston overlapped and were quite the frustration for UNC fans. And, uh, you know, he, he's he got to show something now, and he probably knows that because his NBA career is over if he doesn't. And um, that's that's always an interesting sort of dynamic where you have a guy, a young guy who – hasn't really proven anything and you're going to keep giving him shots because you kind of have to what it can he step up this is this is it for him he he has to know that by now and uh i think i think we're gonna see james michael mcadoo the 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 end result of what what whether he ends up being an nba player long term or not we're gonna see that pretty early in the season because if he doesn't show up early he's gonna get the chance to and if he doesn't how can Steve Kerr trust him down the stretch, barring injury? And he's especially going to be helped by Jones being hurt, uh, Verjao still coming back from his back thing that caused him to miss the Olympics. A lot of the other guys are older. Looney's still making his way back. He he said at media day is not 100%. So you're working through all that. And it's another part of the reason why I'm hopeful that JaVale McGee can make the team, not only because he's, you know, just amazing from a watching basketball garbage time perspective, but because he actually does have a legitimately high ceiling. You know, this is a guy who can run the floor. He can block shots. He can catch alley-oops. And... And he'll he'll also have some Shackton plays, you know that that is part of the thing. And there are a lot of there is a lot of baggage there. But a high ceiling big who can who is actually healthy enough to play, assuming he can actually do that, which was a big problem last year, would be a, a nice thing for this team to have. Yeah, I just wonder if I mean he'd probably have to be there in lieu of Damian Jones or in lieu of Kevon Looney, and or I guess in lieu of Patrick McCall. But then your backcourt becomes pretty thin, so. That's, I mean, that's, 
the other interesting factor here, and I know we'll probably get to it in a few minutes, but um, you know, just picking out the bench players you want is always a difficult thing. It becomes really difficult when you're dealing with a roster where so much of what you need is going to depend on, you know, it's going to shift a lot as a player gets hurt or as a player, um, you know, with, with four stars like they have and finding the balance and the fact that they're going to be playing this new style, this new um, sort of rotation and, and just trying out new things. I think that they're going to have to be very smart about who they fill those end bench positions with just to give them the maximum versatility in large part because they're going to be in a lot of blowouts and that end of the bench is going to play and you've got to make sure that you consistently can get your your top eight players top nine players off the court when you need them off the court and that means you know that means getting some production out of the end of the bench because the NBA doesn't let you have 20 guys. Yeah, it, it, that's a really good way of thinking about it, and it will be an issue related to injuries, you know, with those guys coming in. I think the best argument for JaVale making the team out of camp is if Looney and Jones and even Verja, you know, whatever, if, let's say two of those three or more aren't ready to go, and the benefit with McGee is that his contract is not guaranteed right away. So you can have him, and then basically he's on the roster until you don't need him anymore, and then if he's earned his way to stay on, then you maybe you try to make things work a little bit. And if he hasn't, then you just cut him, and maybe you bring Elliot Williams back, you know, you figure something out with everything else. And that works, but you're right that also going to this big, heavy idea with the bench, you know, the fact that you can only have... 15 guys have 13 active means that you're going to be asking a lot of somebody like Ian Clark, who is, who has the talent, but is going to have to really show it this year. Yeah. And I think, you know, get back to Clark in a second, but I think one of the really interesting facets is if you look at the current Warriors eight man rotation, you have four stars and you have four older injury prone players. You know, we know for a fact that when healthy, Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, David West, and Zaza Pachulia will be the other four-man in the eight-man rotation. How healthy will they be in the playoffs? It's a, it's incredibly important that those four guys are not soaking up. You'd rather have Clay Thompson or Draymond Green or Ke- even Kevin Durant or Stephen Curry out there in garbage time than just be wasting the limited minutes that you're going to get out of Livingston or Iguodala or West or Zaza. Because you're going to need them. You need them to be healthy when the playoff starts um, just to give you any semblance of, of proven depth. And those four guys are so much more frail and you know limited than the four, the four stars. Obviously, Curry's had ankle issues. Kevin's had foot issues. But that, that adds another layer of pressure, too. And, and Ian Clark is, is the obvious first guy to talk about here. Um, Ian Clark has to be able to run this offense in situations where they're up 15 and not let it become a seven-point game. And he did not consistently do that last year. He didn't. It was a big problem. And from a basic math perspective, if you think about this, so let's say those eight players, the, the top four and then the next four, 13, which is the number of active roster players you have, minus those eight is five. So theoretically, yep. you want the exact five guys that are not mentioned in those first two groups to be the five. And that also structure structurally, because the Warriors will play in enough blowouts that 
it actually matters that you want so many blowouts you want to make sure (laughs) that those five guys make sense with one another and that's also why the you know Verizhao Damian Jones all that kind of stuff matters though you can use inactive spots and everything else like that but more than arguably any other team in the league the Warriors are going to have to be cognizant on a game-to-game basis of who they're keeping active and that if that means that they have to treat their D League team very differently than most teams do because yep. you don't the other players are so important like that was a, a very good point that you brought up the other guys are so important that you basically want to do whatever you can to make sure that you're not getting unnecessary miles on them and you can think about that from a fatigue standpoint you can also think about it about from an injury standpoint and so for me there are a lot of different ways to conceive of injuries but a basic one is you know you have the cumulative effect of fatigue but then you also have just the random risk factor that is anything can happen you know like when a guy's when a guy is out on the floor he is substantially more likely to get injured than if he is sitting on the bench and you know if he's sitting on the bench watching and so that is really important so you you know whether it's clay or it's andre Wadala or you know kind of whoever with that the only possible exception to that might be sean livingston just because if depending on when the game gets out of hand he might have just played so few minutes that maybe you want to throw him out there to give him a little bit of continuity sure you know, there just, is that too yeah but for most of the other guys considering their age and everything else you don't even want that you know i don't think david west is going to be sitting out there if he's only played in eight minutes before it gets out of hand being sitting there going oh my god i have to get you know i have to get seven more minutes i want to get my shots up and if he does you let him do it you know like if that's if that's what he wants you do it but that isn't going to be the case and that is again why it falls on ian clark because he's going to have to do two different things at the same time he's going to have to be their primary backup at shooting guard and he's going to have to be their garbage time point guard and you know neither of those is super high stress assuming you know at least until the playoffs but they're different things and they are challenging in their own ways yeah, and, and that also brings us to the other, the only other guard. You know, they have Curry, they have Clay, they have Livingston, they have Clark, and then they're going to need to carry a fifth guard. Uh, right now, it's Patrick McCaw, but as you said, I fully expect that if McCaw is not reading, reach, reaching their expectations quickly enough, they'll turn to their D League team. They may start the league by going this. They may start the season by sending McCaw to D League and having a veteran player up there as that that fifth guard and that's an important position too for those for those same reasons because at the ends of those blowouts and just generally speaking defensively finding a guy who can guard shooting guards is going to be a big help for you and uh that's basically all that guy needs to do and all McCall really is known for is kind of playing some level of a role offensively and defending well and McCall was a great find for them in the draft highly underrated potential three and d stud type player um, he he should fit that role, but that's a lot of pressure to be putting on. And I actually I can even share a little uh, name drop here. I was was talking to Christian Wood, and I was talking to him about um, his former U, U, UNLV teammates Rashad Vaughn and uh, and and Patrick McCaw. And, and I said to him, I guess Patrick's goal is just not to mess things up. And he's like, Oh yeah, he's already he's already joking about that. <laughs> he doesn't want to be the guy who. Uh, who blows it for the Warriors, <laughs> and I don't think anyone does. So that's that's kind of this funny situation where you normally would think a guy like Patrick McCaw could just be on a roster, play you know six games in the first three months, and get his feet wet, and mostly just worry about practice and defending Clay Thompson in practice. 
here he's going to have to play games because they blow too many teams out. They're too good. They're too good to have a bench that doesn't matter. And that's it's it's almost this ironic situation where that this really really great team needs its bench to to play more minutes as a result. There's also a lingering factor with, and this will relate to the 15th guy on the roster that. We've talked about the one and the two, but outside of Durant and Iguodala, the Warriors don't really have any other natural small forwards as well. So the ideal thing for that 15th guy would be that they can also defend some threes if need be, and that they can go in that direction. And I, I've talked to, I asked Kevon Looney at media day whether he felt, what he positions he felt comfortable with, and he brought up small forward. But you don't really want to play him there necessarily, especially if your goal is to keep your head above water offensively. So getting somebody like Elliot Williams, if he can, you know, if you feel comfortable, I think of him as more of a two than a three, but having somebody in that role who can step in, who can step into that, at least in garbage time, but maybe, you know, in case of injuries or something else would be a huge benefit as well. Yeah. Let's um, just wanted to point out to listeners, uh, specifically regular Danny LaRue listeners that Danny has now um, slightly dissed a UCLA player after complimenting a USC player and Dwayne Dedman. So yeah, you have this running thing about how I insult UCLA <laughs> players, and it is sometimes true. But I, I, think, <laughs> I think Kevon Looney could be a really nice player for this team, though, and we'll have to see it. I was impressed with him in summer league <clears throat> last year when you knew he wasn't right, you know, wasn't right physically, yeah. and he played he played well. He was good in his his year as a Bruin, a, a solid rebounder, more versatile defensively. I, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit not sold on his three point shot. You know, that, I thought that was a little bit of just small sample size theater but talented dude looks like you know if he can work hard and uh, from the little murmurs i heard around you know around their practice facility last year that they were impressed with him when he was able to be on the practice court yeah his his actual numbers both in college and in an incredibly small sample size in the nba and the d-league his numbers on three-pointers were still are still miles better than say draymond's were when he was young and uh, the big thing that everyone loves about Kevon Looney is his wingspan. And I think that's going to make him an asset who maybe eventually slides down and plays. Ideally, I think the, the, the end goal for him should be to be the guy who comes in and replaces Draymond in either the big lineup or the small lineup. And he's got the wingspan to do it. He's got the athleticism to do it. It's just a matter of honing those skills and, and uh, taking it to that next level. But I think... You know, I thought he was one of the most obvious, massive slips of the 2015 draft. And it, I was almost a little like shaking my head at the NBA champion Warriors getting a guy that good. Because I think if not this year, then next year, it might be a, he might have a chance to show enough, just enough to, you know, get that fourth year and then get himself an extension and turn himself into a real NBA player. I haven't heard this explicitly from anybody, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Warriors' best-case scenario with him, or like their realistic goal, is that if... Basically, Draymond in some ways is the... Especially with Durant now, is probably one of the, the most devastating injury because they just don't have anybody to replace him. And so the idea would be that if Looney can, in the next six, six months to 16 months, figure out a way to be, you know, 75%... 65%, let's somewhere in that range of what Draymond does, not really offensively, but more on the defensive end, that you can kind of plug him in there and the team won't die, that if they could get that out of him, that would be extremely valuable for them, and they would be willing to pay for that, just because the risk mitigation is massive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what they're still, to this day, hoping Clark is for Curry. And that's, you know, going back to that, you know, 
last year, they tried routinely to run some of the same kind of sets and, and looks. I don't want to say plays because Stephen Curry doesn't really run plays, but the sort of the sort of sets, looks, screens that they ran for Curry, they tried to run them for Clark. And what you saw was a guy who, while mo- while far more similar and more of a facsimile to Curry than Sean Livingston ever could be, or even than Leandro Barbosa, really, um, you do saw a guy who couldn't execute those. And so now Ian Clark is also in this position where, just like Looney will be in the future, I think the Warriors would pay and would pay a premium to have a backup who can sort of do what Curry does. And there's also a lot of teams that would pay him to be a starter if he could sort of do what Curry does. So he's in a position where he can solidify his value to this team, and it's really, really important that they find someone who can replace Stephen Curry and his role on the offensive end. Obviously less important now that they have Kevin Durant, but last year that was a massive issue for them, and, and they had to change the way they played because Sean Livingston was so much better than Ian Clark, but Ian Clark couldn't but but Sean Livingston couldn't really do what Steph does. So now they have this this hope, I think, that Ian Clark will be that guy. You don't find another Stephen Curry, but you do maybe find a guy who can run off the screen the same way and shoot thirty six percent on that shot Stephen shoots forty six percent from. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of thinking about it. And another consideration here is that Sean Livingston can't really scale up his minutes anymore. So you need somebody who can, if Curry misses time, who can play a bunch of minutes because you, you all of a sudden that's an opening that you need. And if Clark can do that and theoretically be a backup too, then yeah, he, I mean, he's worth more than the mid-level. He's worth, he's worth a lot there. And we don't know exactly what his situation is going to be, but that would be another dream for them. And I'm sure that they wish that they would have had a guy like that fall to them in the draft. There's probably a part of them that if, if the picks had gone differently, if RJ Hunter had fallen instead of Kevon Looney, that would have played this little pipe dream that he could have been that guy. But, you know, he's disappointed in Boston so far. We'll see what he does this year. And, you know, and they so they've gotten the guys who fall into them at 30 have been bigs. You know, they did that. And then McCaw, if he can work out, then he's the answer at the two. And really, when you have a team that has limited ways of improving, a lot of these are shots in the dark. <laughs> and also limited ways of improving in large part because they're going to win like 75 games. <laughs> That's also true. But like, I mean, even from a depth yeah. perspective, you know, like the Warriors this year, they they had to use their room mid-level exception, which is really the only thing they had other than, um, other than minimum salaries. They had to use that on a center. You know, they had to do that. And you're not really going to get a developmental long-term center for that. So, you know, they used their draft picks for that kind of thing, and they got Zaza Pachulia, which was a great contract, one of the best contracts of the summer. And, you know, you're gonna that's basically going to be their path moving forward, is you just roll the dice on a bunch of different guys, hope that, let's say, one works out a year, and that you get a couple years of team control out of it. You know, like with McCaw, they have two years and then match rights, and similar things with guys like McAdoo. And then Clark is actually an unrestricted free agent after this year, so he could really cash in, depending on what he does. Though he might not be able to do that with the Warriors, because depending on how all this works out, you have the issue with cap space. But I wanted to go back just because I feel like this podcast would be incomplete without it. It It really cracked me up, since you were the editor on the piece, when I wrote... The original Sporting News Kevin Durant piece back in back in September November that 
I did have this whole hedge about Iguodala versus Barnes, and it was it was true that that was the choice. And it was this weird thing because, like, you could make a really good argument that it should have been Harrison Barnes. You know, he's younger, he he does a lot of things. But at the same point, I I think in in my heart of hearts, and I think a lot of Warriors, you know, writers and and fans were probably like this. You always kind of knew which way that was going to go. Yeah, and I think Andre Iguodala is absolutely central to the Warriors' identity on and off the court. Um, You know, uh, the national perception is probably that the Warriors are Stefan's team, Draymond's team, and Kevin's team now. I think of Andre Iguodala, and that might be me as a media member who likes talking to Andre because he's one of the few guys who says interesting things instead of just talking. Um, But I think Andre Iguodala is sort of a – like an avatar of what the Warriors represent. He's always been a way ahead of his time player, a player who does a lot of different things, puts on a lot of different hats. He defends well, and he's hugely valuable on offense. He can shoot, he can dribble, he can pass, he can rebound. Um, you know, he he's he's the core of, of what they're doing in terms of that small ball lineup. No, it doesn't work without Draymond. No, it doesn't work nearly as well without Curry. Um, but Andre is the one who gives them all of the versatility. He's the one who also simultaneously is happy to take that big shot and make it, but doesn't care if he doesn't see a single shot in a game. And I think he's, without him, this bench goes from pretty good. I'm not going to say great. Certainly, uh, you know, Sean Livingston is not a top five backup point guard as stable as he is. And, and David West, we don't quite know how much he can contribute. He wasn't great, but he was still pretty good for the Spurs last year in stretches. Andre Guadalla is the best six man in the league when he plays. He he missed, you know, 17 games last year, but he's the best six man in the league. He and he may be Manu Ginobili. And uh, that's a massive difference maker right there. And that's, and when, <laughs> when we say that he came close to winning two, two final MVPs in a row, we're not just saying that. I mean, the guy, at one point, if they if they close that out in Game Five, Andre Iguodala would have gotten a very real look at two consecutive Finals MVPs, and that alone made that to me not a choice. And I get that from a basketball perspective, from a logic perspective, from in a vacuum, you would rather have Harrison Barnes on the free agent market. Barnes got a max deal; Iguodala would not. But Iguodala is so valuable to everything this team does. They need to keep him healthy, which is why I kept stressing. Got to get most of these top level reserves off the floor. Yeah, there are a lot of things to unpack there, though. I, I agree with it. And, and, and an underrated part about Iguodala is that his intelligence on the defensive end plays an essential, critical role in any death lineup. You know, that, that he can be so versatile defensively that he can up out because you think about why teams don't go to those kind of lineups most of the time and it's because of defense you know it's that they they can't they can't do it you know they can't put out all the fires and Draymond is a very intelligent defensive player he does an amazing job of replicating a big defensively while still bringing the small stuff offensively and you know Harrison Barnes was an underrated part of that as well but Iguodala allowed them to also have a capable perimeter defender who could do all that while also being a huge communicator on the defensive end and then not not only be a, a productive a useful part of the offense but not be a sink and there are a lot of good perimeter players now Tony Allen is the most obvious who 
can't fit that double, who can't do that. And so him being able to, to do that is such a central part of what makes those small lineups not only function, but thrive. He won finals MVP because the Cavs two years ago, because the Cavs tried to make Andre Iguodala beat them and he, Andre Iguodala beat them. And if you go, if you go back and I don't mean to take Warriors fans into the dark ages, but Mark Jackson set up most of, not most, but a lot of game-winning, game-ending plays for Andre Iguodala over Stephen Curry. And I remember Andre and Russell Westbrook having an amazing duel one night on NBA TV uh, a couple years ago when when Mark Jackson was still the coach, in which I believe they both hit what they thought were game-winning threes, and Andre won it. Um, Do you remember this game? Yeah, it was one of the best games I ever covered. Yeah, one of the best games I've ever seen, and it it was just a random late night game on NBA TV, and uh, you know it was it. It speaks volumes that Andre Iguodala probably could have made an All Star team four or five more times than he did if he had been in the right situation, and that he still probably, when healthy, when on the court. And again, his minutes have been very limited. He missed seventeen games last year, but when healthy and when on the court, I don't think there's really any doubt in my mind that he's the best six man in the league, and that's the core to this bench. And Livingston does some very cool things that sort of separate him from Curry and let them play different styles. West is going to be that veteran. Varajau and Jones are going to just sort of rotate in and keep Pachulia health, fresh and healthy, hopefully. Um, Ian Clark has a huge role. James Michael McAdoo and Kevon Looney have potentially huge roles, at least down the line. But without Andre Iguodala, there is no Warriors bench. And, and uh, I, that's why I said early in the, in the episode, we need to talk about Andre. And he's, he's, he's special to have on a bench. That leadership, that intelligence, um, that locker room leadership and on-court leadership is, is, is a, a really strong combination. And, and I think I think even with adding Kevin Durant, the second-best small forward in the NBA, the, the Warriors are still going to rely on Andre Iguodala, the backup small forward, when in really, really important roles in really, really important games. And that's not something that just relies on them facing LeBron. That's every, every important game. Yeah, and he won't have to guard Kevin Durant anymore in games, which I'm sure he appreciates. And one, he <laughs> what, one thing that is, is really special about Iguodala from a creative standpoint, and I will waste well, – not waste. I will spend a lot of voice and a lot of, let's call it e-ink since I don't write on paper – about with this team is the idea that if, if you're going to do the stagger, which I advocate for, where Kevin Durant plays with the second unit, part of what makes that permissible is that if you pull him early, you can just put Andre Iguodala in there, and while it's not the same team that it is with Kevin Durant, they're still insanely good. Like, that, that is still a really a really strong lineup, and so let's say your first sub at, let's call it the six-minute mark, but realistically it'll probably be about, it'll probably be about four minutes remaining in the quarter, is Iguodala for Durant, then you play that lineup for a couple of minutes and you'll be great. You know, you'll be better than probably every starting every starting five in the league. And that is a crazy thing to be able to do. And if he can, depending on how they want to structure his minutes, so the more he can play with those starters and do the and facilitate that stagger, it it's a huge thing for the Warriors from a creative standpoint. But that might not even be enough minutes to, to be necessary. So then maybe you also get to have him be a big defensive part of those units with Durant as well. And so he can help facilitate, he can be a part of that. And depending on how they want to use it, you know, in those second units, you could be playing Durant and and Iguodala at the three and the four because put Iguodala on the tougher assignment 
and just have Durant run the offense. It's like, so you have this guy who can basically make three different awesome lineups at the same time, which also allow you to get more rest and keep your head above water the whole game. Yeah. Yeah, I think Iguodala, unquestionably valuable. Um, I do want to say one thing before we end this. And, uh, you know, cynically, there's pretty much no argument that the Warriors bench is better this year than it was last year. Um, You know, Leandro Barbosa is going to be missed. Livingston, Iguodala are older. Um, Festus is a huge loss. Festus is probably better than Zaza, definitely better than Zaza, um, in terms of the role they needed him to play. David West was a nice addition, but, you know, that's not a game changer right there. Most Um, Bates was huge for them last year. Yeah, true. But with all that said, so the Warriors are, without a doubt, a worse bench than they had last year. But you know what, Warriors fans, because I know I'm speaking to Warriors fans when I say this, you got Kevin Durant, so it doesn't really matter that much. Yep. If those guys are healthy, you're good. <laughs> well, and, that's, and that was the whole argument that I've, I've been making, you know, since even long before the, the sporting news piece came out, is that you can make everything else work. You know, like, I, I had thought that they would get somebody like Zaza Pachulia. I think my list was Zaza Deadman, and I think I had a third guy, I don't remember who it was anymore, who'd be that spot. But it allows you to do so many other things and it allows you to get David West's for the minimum and and everything like that. And if they have good experiences, which they probably will, hopefully will, then that opens the door for the next David West. And that might even be more important. And the more you get those guys, then the the less pressure you put on Kevon Looney, on Pat McCaw, because if you can get quality players for the minimum like the like the Clippers have done and Doc Rivers deserves immense credit for this that when you can do that you can miss on draft picks like he has and still be pretty good from a depth perspective yeah and I think uh Kevin Durant himself is depth yep <laughs> that's he is depth you know he he's, he's every, again he's because you're staggering that second unit so instead of having Clay be the starter that runs with the second unit it's now Kevin Durant the that's best depth. the best isolation scorer in the league that is depth yeah, and so and and for that's people, that's how I think we need to end this. You know, yeah. just end this one. Hey, you got Kevin Durant. Your depth isn't a problem as long as he and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green stay healthy. Can't say it any better than that. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Adi Joseph for taking the time to come on. You can read him at the Sporting News, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Adi Joseph. That's A D I J O S E P H. And if you haven't listened to it yet, you can catch up on a, another strong week in Locked On Warriors. Talked with Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy about the Warriors and their fantasy implications. Did a media day breakdown on Tuesday. And then did the over-unders. So the Warriors over-under number is was set at 66.5. So I, did, in a solo episode, broke down the logistics of that. So if you want to listen to any of those, that I would really appreciate it. You can do that. If you have any feedback, good, bad, indifferent, whatever you want to do, you can send it to me on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or Danny LaRue, MBA, at gmail.com. Really do appreciate it. It is an important part of this. If you want to reach out to Locked On Warriors or follow Locked On Warriors, you certainly can. Locked On Dubs on Twitter, Locked On Warriors at gmail.com, and also Locked On Warriors on Facebook. And those last two are important because as we get into the part of this that will be more, let's call it listener participation, any questions you have about the team and about where things are going, reaching out to me, reaching out to the podcast is a great way to do it because then it stays in my inbox. You know, if it's in Twitter, hopefully I'll remember it, hopefully I'll retain it and think about it. But if it's a real substantive question, something you'd like you'd like for us to address on the show, 
that's the best way to do it because then it will stay there. And I really do appreciate that and have gotten some great responses so far. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, there are a couple of great ways that you can support the show. You can go to iTunes or whatever you use and subscribe to the show and download every episode. And you can also leave a rating and a review. However you do that, it really does help. It is important to do that because that lets other people know that you are enjoying it. Something else you can do, which is both to help yourself and to help us, is if you want to, if you are a football fan, you can listen to the companion Locked On shows for the Niners or the Raiders. They do a great job over there. And so while basketball is, you know, it's starting in a degree of earnestness, let's call it, on Saturday, the NFL is going strong, you know, deep in the regular season, going into week five. And so if you want to do that, check out the work they're doing. I am immensely impressed that they are able to do that kind of material for football, which as somebody who used to cover the NFL is a much harder sport to do daily content on just because the games are once a week. And so I admire that. You can also check out David Locke, the the godfather of the Locked On Podcast Network. He does the excellent Locked On NBA as well, which you should definitely listen to. And it's more of a deep dive in, in some ways analogous, but in his own spin on what I do with Real Jam Radio and so thrilled to be associated with him. And I, I have such a massive amount of respect for Mr. Locke. So you can do all of those things. I really do appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.